Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And as you saw the last couple of weeks, it's about that time for me to start wearing these as I'm getting older. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll be flipping them up and down all night here. At first, it was just the numbers that started to disappear. Now the words are getting a little blurry. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now as we head into this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is very familiar... It will help us to remember that Jesus is pointing our attention to God in this section. Remember, we've already seen at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he was pointing them to realize their sin and their need of God and their need of him to take care of their sin problem. In this next section that we've moved into in chapter 6, we've been seeing how he's been now moving them, their focus away from their sin and their need of God, now to God and his power and his provision. He's pointing them to seek him for his power and his provision, not only for their sin problem, but for all of life. And so in this section that we're going to look at tonight, and in the one we're going to study either, if we get there tonight, probably next week, in the next section, we're going to, he's going to point out our need to seek him to meet our financial needs and not to trust in money to provide for us. Remember, he's moving them to his power and his provision for their needs, spiritual and physical. All right. But even though this passage is very familiar to us, there's a depth here in Jesus' teaching that you might not have seen. So we're going to spend tonight diving into this section. So let's unpack some of it. All right. First thing I want you to see from this passage is this. Trusting in God to provide for you financially does not mean sitting back doing nothing and waiting for God to pay the bills. It actually means realizing that God is the one who provides for us, not us. So when I say to you, you need to trust in God to provide for your finances, I'm not saying sit back and let him take care of it. I'm going to show you scripturally the balance of the two. I'm going to show you the scripture teaches that we're to work and we're to do what he's called us to do. Yet at the same time, we're never to think for a second that what we did is how we got the money. It's always him. Let me kind of let the scripture show you that. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll start in verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 6, and we'll go through verse 18. God speaking through Moses to the nation of Israel. He says, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and of fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Now take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. 
Lest you, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and its scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Look closely is what God's saying to them. He said, look, I'm about to move you from this time that I've intentionally brought you through the wilderness where there was no food and no water. And actually, not only was there no food and no water, there was actually scorpions and snakes. Think about that for a second before we move into what he says next. Why do you think God, when he brought them out of slavery, the first thing he did was take them into a wilderness where there was no food, no water, and there were snakes and scorpions? Was his GPS broke? You're saying he wanted them to what? To rely on him. Let me give you an illustration I've used before. Maybe some of you remember it. Maybe some never heard it. If you as a parent want your child to go for a walk with you and your serious intent is that they hold your hand and spend time with you, you have, and you have two roads to choose from. And on one path, you've got barking dogs that are vicious with chains on them and they can't quite get to the road. But if you step off the path, they'll eat you. And the other road you have is no, nothing on each side except ice cream trucks and playground equipment and all this stuff. If your purpose is to have your child walk with you and hold your hand and spend time with you, which road are you going to pick? You're going to pick the dogs because you know that that's going to cause them to walk with you. Now, listen, God, all the, through the scriptures, as we're going to get into as we continue on in this study, either tonight and, or, or the next week, the scripture is very clear. God says, I'm the one that led you into that area. I brought you into a situation where there's no food, no water. I did it so that I could teach you how to walk with me. Remember, humble you, test you, and teach you that man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. But he doesn't always make us walk down that path. There are times that he lets us walk down that other path, but he warns us. When, when I let you go down this path, because if you walk with me, the scripture is very clear. The health and wealth people have taken it to an unbiblical realm. But at the same time, the Bible is very true and you're going to see it tonight. For those who actually do trust the Lord, the Bible says that he will bless you. Actually, it says in Psalm chapter one, verses one through three, that you'll be transplanted by streams of water. If you meditate on his law day and night, if you love him and his word, he'll transplant you by streams of water, move you from where you were to where he wants you to be so that you'll prosper. Your leaf will not wither. You will produce your fruit in its season when it's time and everything you do will prosper. God says to them, all right, I took you through that period to teach you how to walk with me. Now I'm going to bring you into the other path. I'm going to bring you into a land where there's milk and honey and land houses you didn't build and Crops you didn't plant. I want you to see my blessing, my goodness as well. There's a whole lot to me that you don't understand, God says. And I want you to know my heart. And I want you to see my goodness. And so I'm going to bring you in. But I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be a problem when you go down this path. You're going to all of a sudden, when things start to increase, you're going to think that you did it. And God says, don't ever get sucked into that path. 
Now, let's go to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Look at verses 8 and 9. He's talking about how Israel had been unfaithful to him. And in Hosea chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, God says, And she, speaking of Israel, did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. God says, All this time that I was providing for them, even though they were in disobedience and sin, they were giving Baal the credit for what I had been providing for them. Remember, it's God who provides for us. We aren't to sit back and say, okay, God, if you're going to provide for me, I'll just sit back and wait. No, the Bible teaches that we're to do some work. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. Look at verses 6 through 12. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So it's pretty clear what the Bible says about working. Is God expecting us to work? Yes, very much so. That's that balance. We're to be working, but don't think for a second that you're the one that you, through your hard work is provided for yourself. Again, I've heard many a man over the years say, it's my job to provide for my family. And I'll say to him, not according to the scriptures. It's your job to do the work that God's called you to and to look for work and to find the work that he gives you. But if your family's provided for, it's God that provides for your family, not you. It's that hard balance. We've all been taught that God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? That's so against the scriptures. It's not in the scriptures and it actually it goes against the scripture. The Bible says God helps those who realize they're helpless. And when we realize we're helpless and we say, Lord, what would you have me do? I want to follow your instruction. And we do what he tells us. Then he blesses it. Go to 1 Timothy. You're in 2 Thessalonians. Jump over one book to 1 Timothy chapter 6. A passage we're going to come back to again later in our study. Look at verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Does that sound familiar? Sounds a lot like what Jesus said in our passage for tonight in Matthew chapter 6. Again, keep in mind that it's God who does this. And as they're generous with what God is that God provides, they're going to find out that as they share it, they're actually storing up treasure for the life to come. 
More on that later tonight. Let me give you one more verse along this line here. Go to Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19 says this. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Let me read it to you again. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but whoever follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Let me just say this real quickly. In my many years of being in the ministry, I have been grieved over the years to watch wives and children who have to suffer because the husband was one of these ones who was chasing the latest get-rich scheme. Because they were looking for that one simple thing they could do where they could all of a sudden come into a great amount of money and they don't have to work. There are some people that get sucked into those pyramid schemes where, you know, if I can get enough people under me, then I can just sit back. No, be careful. Be careful. Put your eyes and your mind and your heart toward what God's called you to do and do what he's asked you to do and do the work that he's gifted you to do. But don't think for a second that if I just get to that point, then I'll be good. Did you catch that? You're trusting in that point instead of the Lord. And as you're going to see in the rest of our study tonight, it, there's a lot of foolishness that you're going to actually step into that you don't even realize when you think, once I get to that point, once I get this latest deal, once I get that last deal, I'm going to show you scripturally, Jesus tells us tonight, don't put your hopes in that. You see, that's, this is why we need to realize that it's God who provides for us and not us and not money either. For if your faith is in yourself or in your money to provide for you, where's your faith? In yourself or in your money. You do know that the Bible says God wants no other gods. You know, you know what I'm saying? Look at Mark chapter 10. Look at verses 17 through 27. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And he was, as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. As this guy comes up and he was very wealthy and he says, Hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, You know the, the law. But if you notice, Jesus listed the side of the law that dealt with how you treat your neighbor. The guy says, I, I, I've been that way since my youth. Jesus says, okay, you lack one, one thing. Remember, he summed up the law and the prophets into two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The guy says, man, ah, 
Jesus says, okay, now show me that you love me. Show me that you love me, and your faith is in me, and your trust is in me. And in this situation, he told this guy, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the man couldn't do it. Why? Because his faith was in his riches and not in God. His riches were his God. Go to Matthew chapter 13. By the way, as you're turning to Matthew 13, the disciples had been taught that if you were rich, that meant God was blessing you and God loved you, and that was proof that you were going to heaven. And when he said it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven, they were like, this goes against everything we've been taught. Is it wrong to be rich according to the scriptures? No, not at all. I'm going to show you over and over, like I've already touched on. God's word says that if you trust him and you listen to him and you're generous, watch how he blesses. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a blessing of God. But be careful when you go down that path. Be careful when you go down that path because it's easy to go off the path. Actually, I'm going to make a commercial. If, I don't want to steal you from your church, but this Sunday at First Indian Atlantic, I'm going to be bringing a message from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, which says, Stand at the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And I'm going to preach on that passage and show what the ancient paths always has been, according to the scriptures. When you see it from Genesis to maps, I'm telling you, it's just, uh, some of you didn't even catch that. All right, so, but when you see it from the whole of scripture, it's going to be pretty cool, because I can't wait to show people the ancient path has always been walking with Jesus, even in the Old Testament. It was walking with Jesus. And we'll get into that if you're able to come. That's 1030 on Sunday in the sanctuary. In Matthew chapter 13, look at verse 22. Jesus says, And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Again, this is part of why we need to realize that it's God who provides for us and not ourselves. It's God who takes care of us and is our provision, not money. Because when you take your eyes off of God and put them to money, your faith is now moved to money. I'm going to tell you in a second why, how that's stupid as we move on some more here in this passage. But jump down, go back to Matthew 6 and jump down to verse 21. Sorry, 24, verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. Now, I don't have time to take you down this road, but if you do a study of the word serve in the Bible, you will find that actually some translations will use the word serve, others will use the word worship. And you're going to find it's not the same translation that always uses serve and the other one always uses worship. Those same translations will flip-flop on verses. If you were to go do a little study, you'll find that the Bible says to serve the Lord with gladness. You're also going to find some others say worship the Lord with gladness. If you remember from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. Some translations say spiritual act of Worship. Some translations actually say service of worship. 
I could go you on and on and show you Acts chapter 17, verse 25, where it says, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Yet other translations will say God is not worshipped by human hands. And if you did a full study of the Greek and the Hebrew, you'd find that the words service and worship are the same thing in Hebrew and in Greek. They mean the same thing. And the Bible actually says, serve the Lord, but it then says here, he's not served by human hands. The only place you'll find that it actually says serve both times is right here. All the translations put it here, serve. And this is helpful for us. How do you serve God if he's not served by human hands? How do you worship God? You Actually, you, you trust in him. He says you can't serve both God and money. So let's deal with this real quick. How do you serve money? Do you go, oh, money, I worship you? No. How do you serve money? How do you worship money? All right. It's, your, it's where your focus is. You trust in money. You depend on money. You might beg, borrow, steal, work hard, whatever it is, but you're doing whatever it is you do because you think money is going to take care of you. How many of you have had this thought? I'm in this group. At some time in your life, think, man, if I could just get that lottery ticket to come in. If I could just get to whatever, if I could just get this deal and make this sale. We've all been there. But listen, how you serve money is you don't say, hey, money, I'll wash your socks. You actually say, I depend on you. And I'm looking to you to take care of me. That's how you worship God. That's how you serve God. You put your full trust and dependence on him. And as you're going to see tonight how the Bible teaches that we can let go of worshiping and serving money and worship and serve, serve God. And he's telling us this here in this passage. So he says in verse 19, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We're going to come back to verse 21, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The question I want to ask you is this, where's your focus? What are you setting your eyes and your heart on? Jesus, in this, in this passage, gave an interesting illustration that a lot of people don't understand. Look at verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Let me help, hopefully, help you understand this illustration. Your eyes are how your body receives light, correct? You, you let light in through your eyes. And if your eyes are good and they're working, you're, you're, you're good, right? You can see. If your eyes aren't good and they don't let in light, you're in trouble. You need help, you need a cane or a stick or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So what he was saying is this, just as our eyes lit light into our bodies and good eyes do us good and bad eyes hurt us, so too where we put our focus, either money or God, will either do us good or bad. That's all he's saying. Just as your eye is the light of your body and it lets in good or it lets in bad because of how it's focused, in the same way, if your focus is in the wrong place, it's like, well, doesn't Jesus call all the people that don't trust him what does he call them? It starts with the word B. Blind. He calls them blind. The Bible actually talks that when your focus is on anything but God, it's like you're blind. It's called the Pharisees, even though they were very religious, blind leaders of the blind. If your focus is on anything but God himself, you're blind. 
You're, you're looking in the wrong place. Oh, my eyes are working fine. Yeah, actually, no. We're talking about the eyes of your heart. Go to Proverbs chapter 28. Let me show you something cool in verse 10. Oh, sorry, verse 20. Proverbs 28, verse 20. It says in Proverbs 28, verse 20, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hopefully over the years of being in this study, if you've been here, you've learned the, the importance of understanding the balance of Scripture. Not getting caught in the ditches and going to one extreme or the other. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verses 3 through 10. He just said to him, teach and urge these things. Verse 3 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived in their minds and deprived of the truth, sorry, depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It, it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Look at what he's saying. He says, you need to be content with what you have. Paul in Philippians chapter uh, 4 said, I've learned the secret of being content. I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The secret of being content is God is my provision and he's going to take care of me. I'm going to have everything I need. Years ago, I shared with some of you that I, in this ministry of living off of people's donations, got tired of feeling good when the checks were coming in and feeling bad when the checks weren't coming in in this roller coaster. Anybody else been there? You ever feel good when there's money in your account and you don't feel good when the money's going down? Anybody else been on that roller coaster? I think we all have, haven't we? And I remember telling the Lord one day as I drove away from the P.O. box when there were no checks in it. And I said, Lord, all it takes to run Just a Preacher Ministries is a little over 100000 a year. It's 110, 115 is all it is. I don't get all that. That covers everything. Travel expenses, whatever. As you know, we give everything away. And so many years ago, I said, Lord, there's a millionaire out there who's a Christian that to him 100000 would be nothing. Lord, wouldn't it be awesome if you'd have... This man call me and say, Jim, don't ever worry about money ever again. I will personally make sure Just the Preacher Ministries has all the money it's ever going to need. I have enough. I'll make sure you just go preach. I don't want you to ever worry about money again. I said, Lord, I believe in faith that there's someone out there like that. <laughs> By the way, you do hope and understand that faith can't begin with you. Five minutes later, God spoke to my heart, and this is what he said. He said, Jim... You're praying for that person who will tell you, don't worry about money. I'll make sure you have everything you need. Why didn't you believe me when I made you the same promise? 
Hasn't he promised us that he'll provide for us, that he'll meet us all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus? But he was showing me my heart. It was still tied to money taking care of me and not God. And also, it showed me that I believed man more than I believed God. Folks, when he shows you your heart, he's not mad at you. He loves you and he knows all this stuff already. Why does he teach us these things? So that he can move us from where we really are to where he wants us to be. And then he'll bless you. Isn't this crazy? Be content with what you have. But if you walk in obedience, I'm going to bless you. But be careful. Because when he does bless, and he will, you'll be tempted to think that it's because you've been good. And you didn't know. You're going to find, I pray by the end of tonight's study, that hopefully God wants to get us to a point where we no longer see money as valuable, but as just a tool. Just a tool that God uses for his purposes. Also, as impressive as big bank accounts are, earthly provisions can be gone in an instant. But God, our true provider, will never leave us. I'm going to say that again. As impressive as big bank accounts are, earthly provisions can be gone in an instant. And I'm going to show you scripturally in a myriad of ways. But God, our true provider, will never leave us. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. As you're turning to Hebrews 13, that same illustration that I was just telling you about later on, God also spoke to my heart and he said, you know, you know that millionaire you were praying that would give you that phone call? You know he's going to die one day and then what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, Lord, we've, we've already worked that all out too. We, we, we've, I've got myself a trust set up in his will and yeah. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, look at verses 5 and 6. Remember, we've already seen in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, who's the he? God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. By the way, keep that in mind. It's going to be coming up later at the end of the study. I will not fear what can man do to me. By the way, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm pretty sure there's someone out here in this crowd that somebody's done you wrong in a business deal. There's some of you who've been cheated. You've been swindled. You trusted your money to somebody who wasn't as honest with your money as they thought they'd be. There have been things you thought were going to work out and they didn't. And you've been mad at that person. God says, you leave that person alone. I'll deal with that person one day for what they do. But I let it happen so that you'd realize your eyes were on money and your eyes were on man and not on me. And the longer you sit there being mad at that individual who cheated you, the longer you're going to take your eyes off of me and put them on them. And that person's going to get bigger and bigger in your eyes. And I'm going to get smaller and smaller in my eyes. And you're going to miss out. We all love to quote Hebrews 13, 6, where God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You ever heard people quoting that all the time? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Has anybody ever realized it's tied in the context to money? In the context, it's tied to the love of money. Go to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23. Look at verses 4 and 5. I love this one. Proverbs 23, look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Do not toil.
to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Some of us are saying, 2008. The ones laughing or crying are the ones that remember 2008. Listen to it again. Don't toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Now, I'm going to give you what they used to say in New Orleans, lanyap. I'm going to give you a little lanyap along this line. All right, this is extra. It's free. But look at verses 1, 2, and 3 here in the same passage. When you sit down to eat with a ruler or a rich person, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Let me just tell you something. That's something God taught me years ago. That there's going to be people with money that are going to show up and they're going to offer to do this and to bless you. I've had people take me on plane trips and do all these things. But their heart was not to bless. Their heart was to ensnare me. Their purpose was to get me on their side in their fight against the senior pastor when I was an associate pastor. They had an agenda. He says, if your desire is to get more, you better put a knife to your throat when you're sitting at the table with the rich people because there are people out there that will use their wealth to trap you. And if your heart is to desire wealth, you're going to get sucked into those things. But if money doesn't have that pull on you, those people can't trap you. Oh, look at verse 6. I love this one even more. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he's like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Have you ever had someone that says, man, take whatever you want, but then they're sitting there going, I can't believe he took three pieces. <laughs> when I first started dating my wife, now my, parent, my in-laws are not stingy, but you'll get, a, you'll get a kick out of this. When I first started dating my wife, she was one of three daughters, and her uh, parents had only girls, and her dad had had an aneurysm in his stomach years before to the point that the only way they could save him was to remove most of his stomach. So he's a guy in a house with all girls. He actually said he hadn't peed standing up in years. And, uh, um, and even the dog was female. And he had an appetite that was smaller because his stomach had been shrunk. And now I'm the first boy that shows up on the scene and comes to the house to date their oldest daughter. He had barbecued all this chicken that he had planned to have for a long time because he was really good at barbecuing, still is. Well, I show up on the scene and I'm at this point, I'm fresh out of college basketball. I weigh 185 pounds and I can eat everything. <laughs> it was an amazing dinner of that barbecued chicken. And I would say, could I have another piece? And they'd say, sure. And then they'd say, uh, uh, would you like any more? Well, if it's there, sure. I'll when the meal was over, I didn't realize the whole time she and her family and their sisters and her dad were all sitting, their eyes were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> when we left, Becky says to me, Jim, do you realize you ate two whole chickens tonight? <laughs> I said, there's no way I ate two whole chickens. She said, think back. So I'm like, okay, I know I started with a leg quarter and then I got on this and then, oh no, I ate two whole chickens. <laughs> they never said anything. But I had eaten his whole supply that he had barbecued for a few meals down the road. Now, he's not the stingy person that's worrying about it. But, you know, there are people out there, you might be one of them. 
You act like you're generous, but you keep track of whether or not anybody's paid you back. You keep track. Oh, be careful. Don't be one of those people either. See, there's problems on both sides. It manifests itself with the rich people who are trying to trap you. It manifests itself with the stingy people who are counting every little thing. Where's your focus? Where's your trust? Go to Luke chapter 12. Let me show you another way that your riches can be gone in an instant. Luke chapter 12, look at verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You can see where that person's focus was. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So, the, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How did this guy's wealth fly away? <laughs> he flew away. How did his wealth disappear? He did. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Whenever you're feeling too good, good just go to Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot of wisdom, though, in Ecclesiastes because it helps you get a real focus all through the scriptures. It brings it back to each chapter, brings it back to what's most important, to fear God and to just do what he says. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, look at verses 18 through 21. Solomon says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't toil for it. This also is vanity and great evil. Do you see it? Do you see another reason why putting your confidence and working to acquire all this stuff is foolish? For some of you, who's going to get it after you leave? Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, look at verses 10 through 17. Oh, and by the way, keeping this balance in mind, the Bible actually talks about the fact that you'd be wise to leave some money for your kids and your grandkids. Wait a minute, I thought you just said it was stupid to leave it for somebody. But, oh, no, 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 there's the balance of thing. What is God telling you to do with your money? Folks, don't let anybody tell you what to do with your money except Jesus. Because he's got a purpose and a plan for each of us. And he's blessed some of us with more and some of us with less. But he has a purpose and a plan. Don't let man ever tell you what to do with your money. I'll get preaching on something and I want to finish this here. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Look at verses 10 through 17. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. 
There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and, he, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, shall he go, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and sickness and in anger. How many of us, as you read that, what came through your mind was Ebenezer Scrooge? What good did it do him as he acquired all that? Folks, put your confidence not in money, but put your confidence in God. The issue is where our true treasure is. Because where our hearts, where our heart is, sorry, where our treasure is, our heart will follow. If God's our true treasure, our hearts will follow him. If money or wealth is our true treasure, our hearts will be focused on money. So listen closely. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Well, in order for your heart to be toward God, what do you have to do? Have him become your treasure. But if you still treasure money, and that's a struggle, what is he telling you to do with your money? Give it to things of God. Store it up in heaven. Give your money toward things of God. And then your heart will follow. Let me give you this illustration. Some of you own stocks. You probably get up every morning and open the paper and check the stock. Or nowadays, you don't need the newspaper. You just get on your phone. You got that little app, and it tells you what the stock market's doing. And you probably check how your company's doing. Because you put your money there, and your heart's there. You might even pray for Pepsi if you've invested in Pepsi. You want your heart to go to things of God? Give it to things of God. I'm about to bomb you with scriptures in the 15 minutes we have left. So get ready. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 is where we're going to start. You cannot love God without God giving you the grace to love God. So as you want to go down this road, you want to say, Lord, I want to have a heart towards you. I want my heart to follow you. I want you to be my treasure. Do not sit here tonight and say, from now on, God's going to be my treasure. I'm going to have my heart toward things of God. I'm going to say to you, good luck with that. But look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Who is the one that needs to move our heart toward God? God himself. So what we need to do is we say, need to say, Lord, I want a heart for you. I want to have a heart for you. I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to have a heart for God, because apart from you, I can't do anything. So I want you to give me a heart for you. Do that work in my heart. Everything that you want me to do, everything you want me to accomplish, everything you ask of me in your word, you want to be the one who provides it for me and produces it. So I'm asking you, give me a heart for you. You're going to see a couple of things start to happen. He's going to tell you to read this book and treasure it. And he's going to tell you to take your money and give it to things of God. Again, don't let man tell you where that's supposed to be. Let God show you where and when and how. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 again. We, we come back to this passage. You're there. Turn over one, one book to 1 Timothy 6. Look at verses 17 through 19. As for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, 
to be rich in good works and to be what? Generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may, they may take hold of that which is truly life. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's encouraging the Corinthian believers to be willing to be generous and give toward those in need in this offering for the saints in Jerusalem who were struggling. And in doing so, he points out the, the Macedonian believers in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Did you catch that? The grace of God that has been given among. In other words, these impressive people that you're about to hear about who gave generously, even though they were poor, who did it through them? God did. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. How many of you have thought to yourself, as soon as I get money, I'm going to be generous? If you haven't been faithful with little, you will not be faithful with much. Don't fool yourself, Jesus said. Too many people think, man, if I just, man, if I win the lottery, pastor, I, I promise to make a big, I, I've had so many people tell me that over the years. When I win the lottery, I'm going to give a big amount to the church. And I look at them and I say, uh, actually, if you're not willing to give now, you won't when you get that money. But these people were poor. You, you, you want to have a heart for God? Start where you are. Ask Him to give you the grace. They begged earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. There it is again. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in all our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace as well. Folks, do you not realize giving is an act of grace? Giving is something that God gives you the ability to do. Is salvation a gift? For you've been saved by grace. It's a gift of God, not of yourselves, right? Did you know that giving is a grace? Forgiving is a grace. Being patient is a grace. It's all done by him. It's an evidence of the spirit. It's a gift of God. So you don't have to sit here and say, I'm going to do better. You need to say, Lord, give me this ability. And oh, when you ask him, if you ask anything according to his will, you need to know that he hears you. And if he hears you, you have the thing that you ask. Act like it's true. God, I'm going to trust you. He sometimes may ask you to write a check and you don't think you can afford to write that check. Oh, I say to you, watch. God himself even says, test me in this. See if I won't open the windows of blessing. Folks, there's people in this room that I know and have known over the years. You know what I'm talking about. You can't give it away fast enough. And the faster you give it away, the God keeps pouring it back in. Go over to chapter 9. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Did you catch that? He says, if you're willing to trust me in this, 
and you actually let me do this work in you, and you let me give through you, even if it's just a little here, a little there, I'm going to give you more to give, and more to give, and more to give. And for those of you that are this way, you actually find that it is blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. You actually get a joy in giving. It's fun. As my wife and I have moved into this realm of being able to be blessed by God to be able to give, we love it. It's fun. We're teaching our kids, be generous because your heavenly father is generous. And by the way, I thank God, but our three kids are actually generous with each other and with others. And at an early age, they've learned money is just a tool. It's just something God uses. But if you're worried about saving a nickel here or cutting a penny there, I've, used, I've seen so many people who would actually run up their credit cards and have to pay all that interest, yet when it's tax time, they've saved every little receipt to save a nickel here and a nickel there on their taxes. Oh, folks, just do what God says. Trust Him, be generous, and watch what He does. Go to Psalm 37. Look at verse 21. Psalm 37, look at verse 21. The wicked borrows but doesn't pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. I'm just going to leave it at that. The Spirit of God can do His work. I don't need to help Him. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 42 through 47. I love this passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. The 3,000 people just responded to Peter's preaching and the Spirit of God, and they got saved. And this is what it says in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they, this group that just got saved, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. By the way, this is not communism. This is not socialism. Because if you remember in Acts chapter 5, if you go to chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira offered their, they sold a piece of property and gave the money to the church. Of course, they didn't give the whole amount. They pretended they gave the whole amount. Peter says, wasn't this yours? And after you sold it, wasn't it still yours to do with as you wanted? It's not communism where everybody had to throw it all in the pile and everybody got it redistributed equally. That's not what it's saying. But what it meant was this. They were so willing to share with each other. If I got a truck and you need a truck tomorrow to haul your stuff, my truck's your truck. Here's your keys. You understand? They just were willing to share with each other. All right? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day to day, day by day, those who were being saved. Do you see the generosity in here all through the whole passage? When their hearts really were to God, when they really had gotten saved, when they truly had trusted Jesus as their Savior and they gave their lives to Jesus, that means their pocketbooks went too. Lord, it's yours. It's all yours. He says this too. This too. And they were like, that's fine. I got no problem. Does does my brother need it? There you go. They never thought, well, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? Oh, we got to do the whole lesson. Start all over again. If you think, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? Go to Psalm 37, look at verses 23 through 26. I've often thought, as I make you run across the whole Bible, who gets there faster, the paper people or the iPad people? And it depends on your program, I've heard. 
Psalm 37, look at verses 23 through 26. Oh, folks, I pray the word of God gets into your heart here. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I've been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He's ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Go to Psalm 112. As we wrap up tonight, I'm going to share a little confession with you tonight. Psalm 112. As I was doing the study, we're going to look at the whole chapter here, at least verses 1 through 10, which is the whole chapter. (laughs) As I was doing this study, there's a verse here that jumped off the page at me that I want you to be praying with me about. I love how this passage starts. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in the triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Do you see all through this passage, the righteous person is generous? Taught his kids to be generous? And his righteousness spreads. Look at verse 7. I'm going to tell you that as God has been teaching my wife and I and our family to be generous, and we've been learning that, and that's moved to our heart, there's an area that in this passage that he spoke to me about. Verse 7. He said, he's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. As you look at me, And you see me as this man of faith and whatever it is that you've been deceived into thinking, if I'm impressive in your eyes, I want to tell you my biggest struggle, even though I trust God in many areas, is a fear of bad news. I wish that every time my kids called me on my cell phone and their name came up, my first thought was, hey, Nicole's calling. I can't wait to talk to her. Or Elise is calling or AJ's calling. But my first thought when my kids call is, they've been in a wreck. Or they didn't put oil in the car. What's wrong? How about cancer? You know, it's weird. When I got the cancer news, I wasn't worried about that. Even now, I'm going to be checked again in April, see if the cancer's back. I'm not worried about that. But there's so many other areas that I'm worried. Let me give you an example, Warren. As a pastor over the years, if someone says, Pastor, I need to have a meeting with you, I'm also, my first thought was, they're mad at me. They don't like me. Oh, no, 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 no. 
I want the word of God to make it to my heart in this area as well. My prayer is that as we, and we'll get right to you, as, as we let the truth of God sink into our hearts, some of you have been sitting here the whole night and saying, Jim, I'm with you. I understand this about money. That's the way God's taught me years ago, and I'm good. And some of you have been needing this lesson on money, but I'm saying to you, for those of you who have already got this about money, there's still a lot more in this word that he wants you to trust him in. Just because you trust him here and here doesn't mean you trust him here or there. You understand? Go ahead. Some of you know I'm going blind. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm blind my left eye now. I get a shot every six, seven weeks to maintain my right eye. But I never know when it's going to stop. And so I trust the Lord because what else I'm going to do? Right. So you don't wake up every, you don't go to bed with fear? No. Jerry, I love that. That means his word has made it to your heart in that area. I really don't because I know it's 19 or 2011 when the first eye started. The last two and a half years. That one day you would be blind. My, yeah, in my second eye, I'm in my first year, so I don't know. Right. <coughs> we all worry about different things. Yes, we do. And that's minor to me. There's a lot of other things wrong with me. <laughs> I love your honesty. Let's close tonight with one more verse, Proverbs 11, 24. I've already been telling you to get this one in your heart. But I'm going to ask that you ask God to let it just get into your heart. Proverbs 11, 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. I love you. See you next week. Thanks for coming.